Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio and our sponsors, the Hewlett Foundation and the Sobrato Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. John Frenstewald will join us a little later in the podcast. Well, getting kids back to school for in-person instruction, not next year, but this year, is becoming an increasingly contentious issue as each month of the school calendar ticks by. As many of you know, President Biden, when he was running for president, indicated that he wanted to get at least elementary school kids back to school within 100 days of his taking office. But Biden is taking on the issue in a completely different way from his predecessor, as we might expect. Trump politicized the entire issue, claiming that Democrats didn't want to get kids back to school because they preferred to use it as an issue against him in the presidential campaign. Biden actually took on the issue during the first press conference of his presidency, but as you'll hear, he's being a little less definitive about the 100-day timeline that he put forward during the campaign. In fact, he didn't mention the 100-day benchmark at all in his remarks. Let's listen to what he had to say in response to this question from a reporter. Do you believe, sir, that teachers should return to schools now? I believe we should make school classrooms safe and secure for the students, for the teachers. We need new ventilation systems in those schools. We need testing for people coming in and out of the classes. We need testing for teachers as well as students. And we need the capacity, the capacity to know that, in fact, the circumstance in the school is safe and secure for everyone. For example, there's no reason why the clear guidance will be that every school should be thoroughly sanitized from the, from the laboratories to the hallways. So it's not so much about the idea teachers aren't going to work. The teachers I know, they want to work. They just want to work in a safe environment and as safe as we can rationally make it, and we can do that, and we should be able to open up every, every school, kindergarten through eighth grade, if, in fact, we administer these tests. And it'll have the added advantage, I might add, of putting millions of people back to work. I think those comments reflect the complexity of this entire issue. A growing number of parents are now organizing to try to put pressure on Governor Newsom to do more. Newsom has put forward a plan to open at least some elementary schools beginning in mid-February. He's put $2 billion on the table, that's not chump change, as an incentive for schools to do so. But there's been a lot of criticism of the plan. One of them is that it requires school districts to get the approval of their teachers' unions before they can open schools. It also has multiple health requirements, understandably. It includes frequent testing, much more testing than school districts have done up to now. This week, we'll hear from some parents who've been organizing to get kids back to school. Let's first hear from Megan Bacigalupi. She is an Oakland parent. She has children in kindergarten and third grade at Crocker Highlands Elementary School. And she's a leader in a newly formed organization called Open Schools California. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for having me. So just tell us a little bit about your situation and your family and what your connection is to this issue. I have two young kids. I have a kindergartner and a second grader. So my kindergartner has never been inside of his classroom and actually, you know, has met his teacher one socially distant time and doesn't know, you know, all but one other kid in his classroom. And, you know, on the academic front, of course, virtually learning for a child who's five is nearly impossible. 
I also have a second grader and he actually has dyslexia. And so learning for him through a computer screen is incredibly challenging, um, both really difficult to stay engaged, but you know, learning to read because of his uh, learning difference, he is quite far behind grade level, you know, in reading. And that's been an incredible challenge for him, again, both to not just, you know, stay engaged, but to really like love school. And he certainly did before this. And, you know, now 10 months, you know, we're approaching the year anniversary of us being out of school. Um, his desire and will to even just participate, uh, you know, wanes by the day. And you are in a pretty fortunate position in that you work out of the house and your husband works out of the house too? Yeah, we are both home. You know, we both have full-time jobs. And what is your job, Megan? I run programming for a small nonprofit called C100. It's based here in the Bay Area. And I'm able to do my job from home, which is, of course, a luxury right now. And my husband is as well. I know there are families who are leaving their house to work and have to leave their kids in different circumstances. That's not us. But given my kids' age, they're also really not able to do a lot of things on their own. And so it requires, you know, my husband or I sometimes even physically sitting with them while they're in class or certainly doing all their work with them because neither of them can really, you know, read and understand what they're being asked to do. You feel passionately that your kids should be back in school. Well, not all parents feel that way. Many parents don't feel that it's safe. And one of the other big issues is teachers and other school staff also don't feel safe. And so really nothing is really happening in the Oakland Unified School District. How do you account for that, that people like you feel it's safe and others don't? I hope in our reopening efforts, certainly, you know, I may feel one way, another, other parents may feel another way, teachers may feel a certain way, and no one's a monolith, of course, right? Like when we say teachers, there are teachers who want to return and teachers who don't want to yet. But, you know, I, I hope that our decision making is really guided by public health. And those are the individuals who should be telling us when it is safe and when it's not safe. And when they do deem it safe, you know, then our district should be able to reopen. But for families who want to keep their children home, I think that that has to be an option. And certainly here in Oakland, that's incorporated in their reopening plan. So for families and, you know, for staff who I think are medically vulnerable, that option will be there. And I think that that's hugely important. But I think for kids like my own who are struggling so much, and those families want them back, I think that they should be able to have that choice. And I say that confidently because schools have been reopened across the country since September. You know, we had the CDC study this week that shows that with proper mitigation in place, it, it's actually safer to be in school. The rate of spread was lower in schools than in the surrounding communities in that study. We have just a terrible situation in California right now. And this week, things seem to be getting a little better, but still, we're in a kind of a crisis mode. So to be thinking about sending kids back during this time, I think, could be frightening for some, not only parents, but anybody. <laughs> so how do you deal with the current situation? We are actually, in some Bay Area counties, quite close to the metric that the California Department of Health released a week ago in terms of allowing for K through six to reopen. So that's, you know, 25 cases per 100,000 for five consecutive days. So there will be counties that are within that margin soon. And I think the real push on reopening is, of course, not to do it tomorrow when we're, it's not deemed safe by our officials, but to have plans in place 
have labor agreements negotiated and approved so that the moment it is deemed safe, we're ready to move forward. As some parents seem really frustrated, perhaps even angry with Governor Newsom. They feel he should be doing a lot more. They'd even maybe vote for recall. What is the level of frustration or anger, and how do you feel about how Governor Newsom is doing on this? If you look around the country at places where schools are open and schools are closed, it rarely has to do with COVID rates. It has more to do with political will from leadership. And so we are calling on him. You know, his Safe Schools for All plan that he released a few weeks ago is not sufficient in terms of getting our kids back in school. And I actually have a personal appeal for him. You know, I mentioned my son has dyslexia. So does Governor Newsom. And he's talked about that and how that, you know, having that disability has given him such empathy. And I really wish he would leverage that and think about kids like himself and kids with other learning differences for which learning through Zoom is virtually impossible. And I would just love for him to channel some of that empathy into action. Well, to be continued, we've been talking with Megan Bacigalupi, a leader in Open Schools California. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Lewis. It was great joining you. Let's go a little deeper now and hear from another parent, Ernesto Falcone. He lives in El Cerrito. It's part of the West Contra Costa Unified School District, a large urban district that includes Richmond and several other smaller towns in the East Bay. Ernesto, you have a kindergarten student. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. He has been working remotely all this time. That's right. He's been you know, doing all his classes on the um, school-issued laptop. You know, I've basically been working through the homework, so I, I consider I, you know, I'm been home- homeschooling him on his assignments. Okay, so you've become an expert in homeschooling. I think <laughs> there's, been a, there's been a consensus that the youngest kids, in particular kindergartners, are probably the biggest challenge of all kids. It has given me a very strong appreciation for the professionalism of education in that this is not something you will know by instinct. This is something that you need to be trained at. And I do appreciate his his teacher doing her best. But there, there are lots of limits that come with it that are kind of outside of the control of the school. They really have you know, challenged the premise that it gets substitute for, for in-person education. Give me an example. What, what are some of the challenges? You know, we do by Zoom for our school. You know, there's chaos in that, you know, you have other small kids in the group. And, you know, anyone who's worked, uh, works professionally right now using Zoom uh, meetings, you have to have rules about who talks when. And if you have a bunch of children running those rules, you know, the loudest kid drowns out the class, drowns out the teacher. You know, I've, I've got this photo I took of my kid who, who kind of closed his eyes, put both hands up to his ears and, and shut them because it was just too loud. And he said it was too harmful to his ears. And it's tough. It's tough. If he was in class, it would make more sense to him of the environment. But in uh, a laptop, you know, he sees his teacher and he sees that he can't talk to her and she can't hear him. And and I think that's one of the biggest challenges here for, for young kids. Now, you're at home, and is mom around also? Yes, uh, we both work from home. Okay, so you've been there. You've been able to really provide support then. Yeah, I do my best, and, and I'm privileged to have work that allows me to do time shifting. So I set aside a set number of hours in the day to handle his education and handle his classwork and homework assignments. And then I have to make it up on either you know early in the morning before the kids are up or, or late at night you know after they go to sleep. What is your thinking? Do you feel your son should be back in school? I mean, for in-person instruction. And do you think it's safe to do that? So a year ago, you know, if you asked me this question, I would 
be terrified. I'm very risk averse. You know, I look at this and I think, well, is, are we talking about a 1% risk? That's too much for me. If I juxtapose that from then till now, particularly with all the latest health studies that have come out and the guidance and, and information coming from the state government and the CDC and, and other you know, health authorities, it, it seems pretty clear, at least for, for little kids like my son, that it is safe if we do it right. And um, the, the statistics behind it are very compelling. Well, your teachers union, West Contra Costa Unified, pretty adamant that they do not want to go back. In fact, we'll be talking with the head of the union on this podcast. So how does one balance that? Do you think the state should be telling, and I know a lot of people have been pushing for this, for the governor to kind of mandate, set a certain standard and then mandate that that schools reopen? My son adores his teacher, but... What, what we can't entertain is, you know, fear that it's, is divorced from, from the science and facts. Because if we, if we do that, then it is, you know, the most fearful, regardless of, of reality, will decide the outcome. And there's a real harm that's happening on the other end here. There are studies showing that depression, searches for suicide, you know, other really catastrophic results are, are on the rise at a direct link to the isolation of the closures that, that is the cause of this. And so, we have to do balancing, but we also have to remember there, there is a huge negative that is coming from persistence of the closure, particularly if we can't open safely based on what the health data is showing us. On that note, uh, thank you, Ernesto Falcon, parent of a kindergarten student in the West Contra Costa Unified School District. Uh, thanks for talking with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. Obviously, these are parents who have very strong opinions about getting kids back to school. We're now going to hear from Marissa Glidden who has a different point of view. She is president of the United Teachers of Richmond, which represents teachers in the West Contra Costa Unified School District. She was a third grade teacher until just last year, until she took over the job of running the union. Marissa, you've heard all the arguments. This is a very tough issue. What is the position of the union about going back to school for in-person instruction? I mean, school is in session for distance learning. But in terms of in-person instruction, what's the position of the United Teachers of Richmond? Thank you for clarifying that school's definitely in session. Our educators are working really, really hard to figure out how to do the best they can with distance learning. So school is definitely in session. Learning is happening. United Teachers of Richmond is a very democratic institution. So the positions we come for are, are what the majority of educators want of our members. And our guiding values through this have always been from the beginning, equity, safety, and health, and with really equity as a guiding focus. The main thing that we've been advocating for since the beginning is to make sure that we are working with the county and advocating to the county to suppress community spread in all parts of our district. Our district encompasses several different cities with very different demographics and very different case amounts of COVID. And so we have been working really hard to try to advocate for lowering the amount of COVID in our hardest hit areas. We hope by doing that and having an equitable level of COVID throughout the, throughout the county, we'll be able to open safely in person. But right now, you don't think it's safe no. to go back to school? Right now, um, particularly in Richmond and San Pablo, the case counts are up to four times the county average. And it's, it's been really suffering. So no, our, we're not at the point right now where the community levels are safe enough to return to in-person instruction equitably. So you do see a pathway to potentially getting kids back in school this year before the end of the year? 
Yeah, our goal has always been when the virus is low in every zip code in our county, not just the county average, because when we use the county average, what happens is predominantly white, more affluent areas are going to have low virus spread entering their classrooms. Areas that are harder hit in our community with rates up to four or five times as high as the county average are going to be in a much more dangerous situation even by entering the classroom. We are eager and we've been advocating all along to please help the hardest hit communities so we can get to a level in every zip code in which it's safe to open. And we would be very happy if that happened before the end of the year. So step one is to really make sure we stop community spread. You know, for example, we don't open things up early. You know, we increase contact tracing, increase the vaccine rollout in our hardest hit areas. And then, yes, certainly, once those things happen, there are things that we can and should do in schools to make it safe to return. Governor Newsom's Safe Schools for All plan, he has now raised the level to 25 new cases per day on average to say, okay, at that point it would be safe for K-6 kids to go back to school. Do you see that it would be safe at that level, the 25 or under level? We certainly have not seen enough research to show us that 25 would be safe. That 25 was based on a study in a community very different than ours, a predominantly white community with uh, much, much, much smaller class sizes, um, much more funding to be able to create mitigation strategies in schools to make it safe there. But I think all of our schools are, are really different and we have to look at the community that we live in when making decisions. And no, I don't think that we are prepared or have the safety measures or the funding to be able to open safely at a rate that high. You know, one of the, I think, the positive things about this pandemic, people have become to realize how essential teachers are, how most parents can't do what you guys do. But now we have the situation where there's conflict between teachers and parents. And also unions are portrayed as, I mean, amongst people who are progressive Democrats, pro-union, who say, oh, kind of big, bad union, keeping our kids out of school. Are you concerned about that and what can be done so we don't have this, what really seems like an unfortunate kind of conflict? I think, one, it's important to remember that, especially in our district, only 17% of parents are comfortable going back to school. Most actually want to wait until there's more vaccine availability or lower community spread. Uh, 83% want to wait. So I think we're much more in unity with parents than, than it's being portrayed. Our families that live in areas impacted by the virus are much more concerned about returning to school than those who don't live in areas impacted by the virus who are much more eager to go back to school. That was Marissa Glidden, president of the United Teachers of Richmond. And I think that gives you a good sense of the different sides of this very contentious and difficult and complicated issue. Obviously, the ball now is in Governor Newsom's court. I've been able to rope John Fensterwald back to the studio. He's been following developments. So, John, Governor Newsom talked to school superintendents about this issue at a conference this week. Uh, what did he have to say? Yes, the governor was interviewed by Wesley Smith, who is the executive director of the Association of California School Administrators, or ACSA, as it said. And they asked him about this February 1st deadline for the first applications to apply to the $2 billion the governor has proposed to encourage districts to send their youngest students, elementary school students, back to school by February 15th, and then the older students in elementary school by March 15th. So they asked him about that. 
Yeah, and a lot of people think the deadline is just too tight. Well, the deadline's about to pass, Lewis, because the, le- <laughs> the legislature <laughs> is supposed to pass it and approve the money by February 1st, and that's not going to happen. So what he said was, hey, I'm willing to negotiate all aspects of this proposal with the legislature, and he hopes it can get done maybe within days as opposed to weeks. Wow, so very interesting. There could be some developments on this by next week. Everyone agrees that it's best to get students back into school away from distance learning if possible and if it can be done safely. They have to hash out what that means and what the implications are for the money and for testing for COVID and a number of issues that are out there. John, let me just ask you about the vaccination issue, which is a kind of a new element now that we have vaccines, very positive. But now some people are saying, oh, we need to get teachers vaccinated before they'll feel safe and secure about going back. But that could take quite a while. The governor reiterated that teachers are among the few, very few employment groups that are priority for vaccines. What he didn't respond to when Wesley Smith asked him was, can you solve this disparities among the counties? Some counties are giving teachers priority. Some counties are treating teachers equal with over 65. And we know that there are a lot of over 65 people in California. And also it's partly a function of its supplies differ from county to county. So he didn't resolve that issue, but he said, look, I've made it that way. It's a priority. And so we will work to do that. And what he said was, it's really important. Rates of COVID infections are dropping fairly rapidly in the state now compared to even earlier this month. But obviously we can't forget that not all parents want to send their kids back. In fact, I think in some districts, uh, West Contra Costa, the, the survey shows that in fact, the majority of parents are not ready to send their kids back. I think that's partly a function of what parents look around and see. In a couple of weeks, it might be different. But yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the aspects that the governor has said is we will maintain the right of parents to stay in distance learning. That's part of his proposal. It's not an either or situation. And of course, that means districts would have to provide both distance learning and in-person learning. Not an easy task, but uh, that's what's on the table for those districts that are able to open. Thanks, John, for the update. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.